I don't know if you were the first one to text me or somebody, you know, actually I'm thinking my, my cell phone started burning up from all over the place. So might've actually gotten the first inkling of it from people other than you. What was your first thought? Well, I guess in the big scheme of things, I wasn't surprised because of everything that had gone on recently. Vilified, deified. It's hard to find anyone apathetic about rapper and actor Tupac Shakur. By the time of his passing, September 13th, 1996, he'd sold millions of records. In death, the prolific musical artist would sell millions more. 27 years ago, it was clear to me how influential Tupac was, and I went in hard in reporting the case and scored several exclusives, including being the first person to broadcast the MGM grand tape of the beatdown, the first to get the Compton Police Department search warrant affidavit that pointed to Orlando Anderson in the murder of Tupac. And I was also the first to get an interview with the original Las Vegas Metro homicide detectives on the case. 27 years later, another exclusive. I now interview retired homicide detective Brent Becker. Nothing is off the table. I'm Lena Nozizwe reporting. Tupac's murder was his case. The arrest. Bonus episode. I remember exactly where I was when I heard the news that there was an arrest in connection with the murder of Tupac Shakur. I was coming home from getting groceries for a loved one. And no, I didn't drop them, but the news was shocking, not shocking. One of the first things I did was reach out to the focus of this podcast, Brent Becker. Twenty-seven years ago, when we first met, when you were in the first stages of investigating the murder of Tupac Shakur, and I would report my first story about the murder of Tupac Shakur, did you ever think in your wildest dreams or maybe nightmares that it would come to this? Uh, not, I mean, not the way it ended. Well, put it this way, the way it seems to be ending right now, as far as indicting somebody, because as far as I'm concerned, the other three are gone. They're, they've passed away, and the guy that survived, I would have never expected any of them to make the statements that have apparently been made public. The confessions. Yeah, we can call it a confession. So that's the most shocking thing to you 27 years later in terms of where we are right now. As far as that goes, yeah, because... I mean, do I think it could have been solved before? Well, it could have, but I'm just surprised that it's kind of, I wouldn't say solved yet because you still have the other players involved, but because they aren't with us, you can't really prosecute them. And clearly different folks have different opinions about 
the definition of solved. Yeah, because I've always considered solved meaning you've successfully prosecuted everybody involved in the case. Yeah, I guess you could say solved in that at least you're prosecuting somebody. It's probably giving some answers to everybody who have had questions, in particular the family members. Exactly. Can you tell me exactly where you were when you found out? What the circumstances were? What your initial reaction was? Okay, well, I was out of town. I don't know if you were the first one to text me or somebody. You know, actually, I'm thinking my my cell phone started burning up from all over the place. So might have actually gotten the first inkling of it from people other than you. What was your first thought? Well, I guess in the big scheme of things, I wasn't surprised because of everything that had gone on recently as far as the uh, search warrant that Las Vegas Metro conducted. And prior to that, the confession that he'd made, I thought, well, if they can corroborate any of that, they, they could go to an indictment on him. And, uh, well, as it turns out, they did. And the he you're talking about is Keefe D. Yeah. Keefe D, Dwayne Davis. And of all those texts that you were getting, what were people saying overall? Just giving you the news? What else? They were forwarding. Basically, they were just forwarding links, you know, news links that this had come out. They weren't really saying anything. Just telling you this happened. Yeah, basically they're just sending me for FYI, you know, and then I heard from you in this, I'm not surprised considering what the search, what they did with the search warrant and everything. And after hearing they were doing a grand jury on uh, Keefe D, I just figured it was going to be a matter of time. Did you have an opportunity to watch the news conference live from Las Vegas? Just the link that was sent to me. I didn't watch it on TV. If that's the news conference where the sheriff, Kevin McMahill, spoke and a lieutenant who must be currently in charge of homicide spoke. And I think Steve Wolfson from the district attorney's office made uh, made comments. What were your thoughts as you watched that? Uh, well, I mean, I knew there was going to be some sort of a press conference because this is obviously this story has been in the news for a very, very long time. And every time it gets close to the anniversary date, the uh, it picks up. And then with this search warrant, what came out of it, and then the grand jury indictment, I just thought, well, Something's going to be said. I didn't know who all was going to be involved in it. The way it was really laid out and headlined was there were these two gangs and then a drive-by shooting, but it just so happened that the victim was a very high-profile and rapper and actor. Well, you know, I saw the things where they're talking about the the Southside Compton Crips. And I think that's coming out. Well, I don't know for sure why it's coming out. I'm just 
guessing part of it's coming out because of who the person was that was indicted in his membership. I don't know what they've gotten from other witness statements or what, if anything, Keefe D said to them or they were strictly going by his confession. But because of his affiliation and the other people that were in the car and their affiliation with the same group, because we know Tupac Shakur wasn't a gang member. Right. He may have, he may have, I don't know, portrayed himself as such, but he wasn't. And then Suge Knight, depending on who, who you listen to, had some affiliation with somebody, but, and that would have been out of Compton. But it was Bloods versus Crips. Yeah. That's, that's how well, it was characterized. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, maybe they've gotten more from, uh, witness state witness statements and such to link that but 27 years ago that was pretty much the low what's the word then pretty much people thought that and if you even if you looked at the affidavit that i was the first to get the search warrant affidavit it's spelled that out i mean it's been 27 years that basically suge was associated with the uh, Bloods loved to wear red. Even we had a helicopter ride over his home in Las Vegas and the pool bottom was red. You know, it was known to red, wear red suits. And over the years, it was pretty common knowledge, was it not, that Keefe D was <clears throat> riding with the Southside Crips. Well, yeah, I mean, we knew from the very beginning, well, when I say very beginning, once we were identifying people, what their gang affiliations were, and we knew that Suge was not affiliated with Keefe D or Orlando or those folks. Uh, so, yeah, you did have that connection that it was obviously two different gang affiliations and the one you know, committed the shooting. I think there was, I think that there was more to the shooting than just because it was Bloods and Crips. Well, I the think beating. The, 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 feet, the fight at the MGM is the what kind of triggered everything. Right. But I, I'm just saying that in terms of the way it was presented at the news conference, it seemed to be, this is a, a drive-by shooting between two gangs and the inciting incident is the fight, the beatdown at the MGM Grand. Yeah, and I don't know all the particulars about how their charging is, but you know, you always have different kinds of enhancements for charges if other things are involved. Just like if you do, you commit a murder, this, and I'm just speaking from this, from this side of it. Say you commit a murder, and you don't use a firearm or a weapon, say you strangle a person or such. Now you got murder, but if you shoot him with a gun, you've got a firearm enhancement. So I did send you a copy of the indictment. What right. is your take of that? Well, I think they're covering it pretty well. I mean, it's more, to me, it's more focused on Davis 
because, well, one, he's the only one left alive and he's confessing to his involvement in it. They aren't specifically stating that he did the shooting when you read it, you know, they're, they're putting him in it. They're, they're naming the other people in the car. Uh, and in fact, when you read it, it doesn't really say who pulled the trigger. It just, it kind of hints at who might have, you know, one or two people, but you don't need that to, if one person in the car commits the murder and everybody else is involved with it, they're all going to go for the same thing. And that's something that you stated in an earlier podcast, very explicitly, a podcast episode. Very. Oh, yeah. In fact, I'm sure we talked about it, especially when we did the talk about Keefe D's confession. I says, well, you know, he's admitting to his involvement clearly in his interviews, his book and, and everything. So, yeah, and he's putting the gun in his hand. Now, whether he's the one that actually pulls the trigger or he hands the gun to someone or not to provide them the opportunity to commit the murder. Well, he's just as guilty. I guess that's why they call him a shot caller. Yeah. You know, well, if you look at everybody that we've always thought was in the car, and if you believe what Davis has said of the four, he's the guy that would be the shot caller. Who did you recognize in going back to the news conference, who did you recognize in terms of people that you knew from your past working with LVMPD? Well, the current sheriff, Kevin McMahill, I've known him since he was a patrol officer. Uh, the district attorney, Steve Wolfson, I knew him because he was a very prominent uh, defense attorney in town. Uh, in fact, as defense attorneys go, every, and I know we, I personally thought highly of him, uh, his wife, I think he was in practice with his wife at the time. Oh, and, and, then, she and then she became a judge. And I think she had her own TV show, sort of one of them judge shows for a while. Right. And we did talk about both of them, actually but in relationship to their daughter. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you want to listen to that or know more about that, maybe listen to some previous episodes. Well, you sent me the podcast that apparently she was on. Right. And uh, I think we, didn't we address that in a previous podcast? In indeed we did. Yeah. yeah. I also wanted to get to another person in the room that I don't know how well you know or don't know, and that's Cliff. Mog. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was standing over to the side. Now, I do not remember if he came into homicide before I left. But if he didn't, he came in not long after I left. And I knew he was in there. And as far as I knew, he stayed in that once he got in, he stayed there till he the recent notice that he'd retired. Chip Siegel, who a, a former prosecutor and now a defense attorney who had some great insight. And one of the things that he brought up was that he believed that Mog was the perfect person to investigate the case because he was retired. And he, the way he put it, 
He was retired as he was working on Tupac's case. I did contact the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department's PIO to confirm that. And I got an email saying that he's not retired. And I subsequently the next day saw evidence on social media that in fact he is, or that he had retired. But how does that work potentially the way Chip was describing it, it's not uncommon to have a retired detective work cold cases. And he said, it's a good thing. Explain that, how it works. Well, and I don't know if Cliff was retired before. I don't know all the exact dates. So I don't know if he, he was the detective that got the case, you know, as people retire, like when I retired, another detective got the case. Sure. That detective, I'm pretty sure retired. So someone else would get it. I don't know if Cliff was in that pecking order or not, or was Cliff working cold cases? I, I don't know all those details because I'm not there. But if he's still an employed detective, he can work cold cases. And if he's retired, they have a program there that you can do. I think it's like 19 hours a week. So he could retire from the police department, but still work in the section for 19 hours a week. And in that case, that's the perfect kind of guy to give this to because he can dedicate all of his time basically to that case because typically like the part-time i call them part-timers if you're retired they aren't getting ongoing cases because like i said you know i may be if the way it worked and i'm sure we went over this before but if you're in homicide there's x amount of teams within a squad and you have a rotation and I know that and so at that time we might have had well just hypothetically say we had eight teams okay well if we had 11 murders in a 24-hour period that means you had it go around eight times and then three teams got doubled up on the same day. Would you like, have, was the murder rate that high in Las Vegas when you were there? Is that a possibility? Oh, I know that was a possibility on one year I was there. The one year, our highest year when I was in there was like 168 murders, I think. That was what the number was. You'd have to go through the records. But you're on call until you got a murder. So in the, as an example, in the Tupac case, the night he got shot, it was not a murder. Right. So Mike and I were still up for, for an Oh, you're up for a, another case after that. Yeah. In fact, let me look, get something real quick so I can look. Because I don't remember if we got another murder before Tupac passed away. 
Let's see. Okay. Okay, so Tupac was shot on September 7th, 1996, correct? Correct. So September 7th, 1996, Tupac got shot. On September 9th, two days later, we worked a suicide in the jail. Then he passed away on the 13th. So then I went down. Once it becomes a murder, then I'm not down. So yeah, we had a suicide in the jail two days later. So we had that. And then I didn't have another case again. Well, September 20th, I worked an officer-involved shooting. Well, I went to one that turned out to be in another jurisdiction. But September 20th, the same day, Oh, and I remember this clearly. We had a murder that night. So Tupac passed away on the 13th, and seven days later, I was working another murder. So you were working a lot of cases simultaneously. Exactly. I mean, from the time... I mean, I don't know how far in advance you want to go, but... Let's see. So September, we had his shooting. I had a suicide. I went out on an officer-involved shooting. I went out on another murder. I went on another suicide. That's just in September of 96. That schedule versus the schedule that Detective Cliff Mogg may have had would be potentially quite different. Well, yeah, if he's working, especially if he's working this as a cold case detective, he's not in the rotation. So he doesn't have to worry about getting called out. He's got case files in the office and he's getting to dedicate much more time to that. Now, whether whether that's right or wrong, I don't know, You, but I'm not the one that made those decisions. Coming up next... So then in July, you hear about the search warrant. What was your reaction? I thought it was intriguing because now being much older, 40 years old, uh, experienced in life and experienced specifically in the law and criminal defense matters, police do make mistakes. It happens. And that's my job to look into those and point those out and put together a vigorous defense for my clients. But at the same time, a case this old with international media attention I know well enough to know that at least the law enforcement out here, Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department and the Clark County District Attorney's Office probably dotted every I, crossed every T possible to at least know that whatever they were looking for was in there. Now, whether that's going to lead to a conviction, that's a whole other story, but that was quite intriguing that they got enough information to put before a judge. I'm one of those these way reporting. Tupac's murder was his case, was created, produced, written, and hosted by Lennon Ozizwe. That's me. I also created the artwork and music. Lowell T.C. Woundla is the creative consultant emeritus. You've been listening to Lennon Ozizwe reporting Tupac's murder was his case. Be sure to subscribe and tell your friends to do the same. For extra content, go to Tupac Murder Podcast 
www.thepowerofpositivity.com.